Well, good morning. Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent. This is a season to trim away excess, to starve addictions in our lives, to identify the props that we use to hold ourselves up other than God, and to lay down every prop and idol in order that we may return to God. Lent calls us to take stock, to draw close to God, to get back to the basics and essentially come to terms with how things really are with no masks, no pretending, no kidding ourselves. This morning we will be talking about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Now no sooner is Jesus baptized than he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, the Mark account of this same story is even stronger, and it says that the Spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness. So the first temptation is to turn stones into bread. Now, the tempter's overall intent is to manipulate Jesus in verse 3 when he says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the voice from heaven at his baptism already confirmed the identity and the relationship to Jesus as my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, we talked about in the beginning that in the beginning of Epiphany, and we also looked at the the transfiguration of our Lord when Jesus spoke these words again about his son, and he says, listen to him. So Satan is attacking Jesus' identity and trying to get him to misuse his power as the Son of God. Now the tempter seems to be implying, if you are the Son of God, why should you stay hungry? Just turn those stones into bread, which you are very capable of doing, and feed yourself. Jesus has it within his power to perform such a miracle because later he, he miraculously multiplies loaves and fishes to feed several thousand people. So what's the difference? Satan is trying to get Jesus to use his powers selfishly, not according to God's will and God's purposes. The enemy is trying to get Jesus to use his body for hedonistic purposes as if the highest good and proper aim of life is our personal pleasure and satisfaction. Temptations are one of the enemy's ways of trying to get a person to go contrary to God's will. So Jesus responds to Satan by quoting a passage from Deuteronomy. It is the Father's will for Jesus to be in the desert as a human who relies not on his own abilities to create food, but on his Father to supply it. So Jesus will trust what the Father has revealed to be his will. So the first temptation is an attempt to get at the core of Jesus' personal trust in the Father's leading purposes and provision. And even though he is hungry from fasting and regardless of the present circumstances, Jesus maintains that the essence of life is trusting God's word, will, and purposes. So he does not need to turn stones into bread in order to confirm his identity or to supply his needs. The Father has declared him the Son. The Spirit has led him into the desert, and he will not go contrary to the Father's will. So the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and he must take the Father at his word that he will take care of Jesus. 
So throughout our life, the enemy will attack our identity and try to get us to misuse our authority and power and try to get us to think that our life is about our satisfaction and our pleasure, trying to get us to use it for selfish purposes and for self-centered gain. So the enemy will attempt to get at the core of our trust and our faith in God. But with the example of Jesus Christ, we can overcome this temptation. Now, the second temptation is to jump off the temple. We we find that in verses 5 through 7. So the devil urges Jesus to throw himself down from the high place so that his loving father will send angels to rescue him in verse 6. So Jesus has the ability to do that later in Matthew in chapter 26. Just prior to his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus states that if he wanted he could call on his father to rescue him by sending more than 12 legions of angels. So the devil's quotation is a blatant misuse of Scripture to try to manipulate Jesus. The original Old Testament context of Psalm 91 does not imply that God will send protecting care for every harmful situation. Jesus sees through the the devil's Scripture twisting to the evil motivation behind it By replying from Deuteronomy again, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The enemy is trying to get Jesus to test his father in two different ways. Number one, by intentionally putting himself in harm's way, Jesus would be inappropriately testing his father's love, trying to manipulate him to send a rescuing force of angels. True faith asks no such demands. And number two, if Jesus were to throw himself off the high place of the temple and the angels rescued him, think of the reaction of the people. And such a spectacular display would gain Jesus a quick, instant following, but not by the Father's ways. God desires Jesus to obediently share the gospel of the kingdom and suffering whatever consequences may come. So Jesus is being challenged to confirm the relationship that he has with the Father. Does the Father really love him? Will the Father really provide for him? Prove it by sending help. Does the Father really know the best way to gain a following? Watch the reaction a jump will produce. But Jesus does not need to get the Father to prove to him that they have the Father-Son relationship. The Father already declared the relationship at His baptism. And then even again at the transfiguration, the Son needs no further confirmation. This is the essence of biblical faith, taking God at His word and being obedient to it without needing another confirmation. The enemy is testing Jesus with egoism. Jumping off the temple to be caught by God would show how great He was. And think about the display and what that would mean to everyone around. We will always be tempted by the enemy to go the way of glitz and glamour. From the spectacular and the extravagant to do things to draw attention to ourselves. It might get a quick instant following, but this is not the way of the cross. It is not the way of the kingdom of God. With God's power and strength, we can say no to the ways of the world and yes to the ways of the kingdom of God. Now, the third temptation is to worship Satan, and we find that in verses 8 through 10. 
Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and then makes an astounding offer in verse 9. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now the enemy is testing Jesus with materialism, with wealth and kingdoms. Those kingdoms are the very reason that Jesus had laid aside his own glory. And his ultimate purpose is to gather the nations into the kingdom of God. And we see that in Matthew 25. But before he sits on his royal throne, Jesus must hang on the cross. So the devil offers a shortcut. So Jesus can bypass the humiliation of this human suffering on the cross. But to take this shortcut, he would be giving up the will of his Father in heaven to worship the devil on earth. And the Father's will for Jesus' life is the cross. But Satan tries to sidetrack him from that mission by getting him to take a shortcut to gain the kingdom that will someday be his the hard way. The way God's kingdom works is completely different than the world's kingdom and the enemy's kingdom. We will always be tempted by Satan to take the shortcut. There are no easy shortcuts in discipleship. There are no easy shortcuts in church work. There are no easy shortcuts to mission. A community of people following Jesus Christ together in spiritual transformation and obedience to the mission of God is a lifelong journey that requires the way of the cross. We must fight the urge to look at nickels and noses or materialism as the gauging factor of spiritual success and failure. The way of the cross is completely different than the ways of the world. So Jesus emphatically declares in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So in this response, Jesus exerts His rightful authority over Satan and quotes again from Deuteronomy. And as powerful as the enemy may be and as frail as Jesus must be because of this extended fasting and the intensity of the temptation, Jesus defeats him with a word. Jesus uses the truth of Scripture to guide his understanding of reality. The question this morning for all of us is, is do we do that? Do we use the truth of Holy Scripture to guide our understanding of reality? Do we trust His promises? Do we trust that they're true? Do we trust that God will take care of us? Despite our circumstances, despite what many of us might be going through right now, the grief we might be facing, the darkness we might be going through, the physical struggles that we might have, the news that the doctor has recently given us, the disease that we might be battling, and the list goes on and on. Despite all of these things, are we going to trust in the promises that God has made clear to us in His Word? Each time Jesus is tempted, He used Scripture to slip His hand back into the Father's hand, Saying, in essence, I believe the story that my father tells me above anything else, and that is enough. The question this morning is, is that really enough for us? Is that really enough? The work of the spiritual life is often a process of discerning God's voice and discerning what is not God's voice 
and then of making a ruthless commitment to trust God even when it may not seem like enough. And this sort of ruthless trust is always transformative if we see it all the way through. I want to encourage you, I don't have enough time to really um, spend a lot of time on this point, but I want to make it clear that when we, in the midst of the noise that we live around, the world that we live around, I mean the urban city that we live in, we need to take time to get away from the noise. Not only the noise from the traffic and the noise of the horns and the noise from our phones and the noise from our computers and the noise of other people, but also the noise that goes on in our own heads. We have to to pull away from that, not just during the season of Lent, even though I would encourage you to do it during the season of Lent, but to purposely walk into some times of silence so that you can hear the whisper of Almighty God. And then so that you can distinguish the difference between the voice of God from the voice of the enemy. And we need that silence and we need that solitude as well as other spiritual disciplines for us to be able to distinguish the two. Do we allow the Word of God to guide our understanding of reality? When Jesus refused to go the way of the tempter, He was embracing the way of the cross and, of course, the resurrection as well. The enticing whispers that echoed around his head were designed to distract him from his central calling, the road to which his baptism had committed him, the path of servanthood that would lead to suffering and death. They were meant to stop him from carrying out God's calling, to redeem Israel and the world, to stop him from being the light and for calling others out of darkness so that they can be part of the light as well. So what was the outcome of the temptations? The immediate outcome of Jesus' rebuke of Satan was this. Then the devil left him. What is the contemporary significance of this teaching? Well, all of us have a variety of temptations that can sidetrack us. A difficult temptation for one person may not even phase another person. And if we were to ask our friends about the source of their most severe temptations, we might be surprised to find an interesting fact. Their temptations are not usually bad things. A temptation is not usually something inherently evil, but rather a good thing that's used for wrong purposes. The very nature of a temptation is that it can be subtly interpreted to be a good thing, not a bad thing, but perverting a good thing for a bad use. Therefore, one of the most important considerations when addressing temptation is to understand the proper purpose for anything we face. Said another, another way, what does God want for us in this situation? I mean, I could use all kinds of things as examples, but let's just look at food. Food is not a bad thing. We all need food. And the Bible says a lot about hospitality and eating together and delight and all of those things. But we also know that we can misuse food. So the question is, do we live to eat or do we eat to live? That's just one example that we can ask among many and about all things, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, and the list goes on and on and on. TV, Facebook, I mean, All kinds of things. You know, they're not all inherently evil, but they can all be used and sidetrack us from our purpose and what God intends for each one of us. 
the very nature of a temptation is that it can be subtly interpreted to be a good thing, not a bad thing, but perverting a good thing to a bad use. So when we face any kind of temptation, if we use 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 as a guideline, we can learn how to draw on all of God's resources to overcome. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You know, so that right there, you could just let each one of us know that we are all tempted. What you are facing right now in your life is a temptation. It might not be exactly what everyone else is facing, but we all face temptation. It, we, it's, we're not any different from anybody else. You know, the scripture makes that clear just in what we just read. But let me continue on. It says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what we can stand. Now, I know if you're like me, sometimes we ask, God, are you sure you really, uh, that's really true? But sometimes when we're facing it, it's just a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? It's a pull. It's a drag. It's difficult. It's hard. It takes intentionality. It takes work. And then he goes on, he says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. So God gives us the way out. We have to just take the way that he provides for us. So being tempted is not a sin. Giving into the temptation is when it becomes sin. And James 1, 14 and 15, a very important passage here. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So be aware of shortcuts and sidetracks and spectacular displays and power and fame and glitz and glamour and money and selfishness and using sex for purposes other than God's intentions and purposes, control, dominance, judgmentalism, idols, egoism, materialism, hedonism, and all the other isms and etc. As God's children, we are tempted by the enemy to distract us, to turn us aside, from the path of servanthood and kingdom living, of fulfilling God's purposes and calling, of bringing God's light into the world. In the beginning of this story, the Spirit of God led and drove Jesus out into the battleground. At the end of the story, angels come and take care of Jesus. We will experience many temptations throughout our life. However, we can say no. We can overcome. We can refuse the bait We can make godly decisions just as God sent angels to care for Jesus. He will send his angels to take care of us as well. And some of you might be those angels that God uses. So during this season of Lent, hear the call to refuse the bait, make godly decisions. God will give us strength and power and the ability when we turn to and rely on him through our temptations and throughout all of life's journey do we believe it will we refuse the bait do we believe jesus at his word do we rely on holy scripture to determine what the reality of life is all about in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit